At this point, we're good to go. Okay, good to go. Live. All right, let's kick it off. So episode 25 of The Hot Isle. Welcome, everyone. My name is Brent Piotti. And my name and- is Brian Carpenter. I was a little mesmerized. I didn't say my name because I was a little mesmerized. <laughs> I was sitting here trying to think about how, uh, like, you know, the, you get milestones, right? And I think, I think 25 is a huge milestone, so I'm a little excited about it. I got to say, yeah. we've yeah, been talking about it. Yeah, congratulations, guys. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, a ton of work. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, we're excited. We have a we have a fantastic guest. Uh, do you need to continue introdu- introducing? I know I got distracted there for a minute. It's like we had a squirrel <laughs> no problem. Moment. Just enamored by the twenty five. Yeah, get it. <laughs> I'm excited. We'll bring it up later. Yeah, but every I mean, every time we do this, we we want to we want to set you up with the goal of the show. So let's continue to do the same. Uh, today we want to to continue educating you. On previous episodes where we talked about things like containers, um, but we want to peel back the onion a bit more and and understand more about container persistence versus ephemerality. And I did actually That's look that word, word up. That's a huge word. It, it, it's real. I knew ephemeral was a word, but ephemerality. I was like, am I making this up? But it's it's real. Um, and then additionally, we want to find out what what's going on in the EMC code world and and see how basically how EMC is doing in the open source space. So. With that, we have um, we have someone from EMC. His name is is, is Clinton Kitson. Easy um, for you to say. Yeah, easy for <laughs> me to say. And, uh, and 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 Clint, you are a developer advocate and former V specialist at EMC. So introduce yourself as, and tell us what you do and what your what your day to day job is. That's all right. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm excited to to be here. Uh, yeah, I lead the developer advocates at EMC Code. And EMC Code is an open source initiative, and the focus is all about helping EMC be relative within the open source world. And no big surprise that things like open source, DevOps, right, they're all pretty much focused on containers as one of the next-gen ways to run infrastructure. And the group that, that I lead and that I'm a part of, uh, you know, we have a bunch of talented guys. You know, we got the likes of Jonas Rosland, uh, Kenny Coleman, um, you know, uh, plenty of guys on the team that we brought in that have a, a huge skill set in um, not only infrastructure, whether that's from the VMware days or, or from coding backgrounds uh, as internal developers that know how to formally develop products uh, and know how to do things that can help us be relevant within the open source world. So we have a, a mixed skill set of, of people that really have the infrastructure background and the developer background. And we're bringing those things together and we're delivering some really cool projects. I like it well, a lot. with regard to yeah, with regard to you know your your guys' backgrounds, let's talk a little bit about your background. So before we kick the podcast off, uh, just trying to get to know you and, and understand where you come from. You have a pretty cool story, uh, you know, around the dot com era and, and that kind of stuff. So just kind of quickly walk us through um, your pedigree, if you will, and kind of how you evolved into a developer advocate at EMC. Sure. Yeah. You know, back in the late '90s, I, I ran uh, an or, an or, a company with my my brother and his friend, and the organization was focused on doing web hosting and those types of services in the dot com days. And you know, we to do that that organization, we ended up building up a lot of scripts and automation and, and tools that helped us deliver these services in an automated way. Uh, so my, my background is actually focused on like Linux, and it's focused on uh, the tools and, and doing development to create services. So it, along the way, you know, that, that organization, that company didn't make it. We didn't sell out. Uh, we didn't make it big. Uh, but we all kind of got a good experience of what it meant to, to be in a company, what, what we knew, what we didn't know. And, you know, my target at that time was looking at, well, you know, I, I think I know a lot about Linux. I know a lot about, you know, how to do scripts and create things. You know, what I really want to know more about is business. So I, I actually went on from that hosting company uh, to go get my degree in biz econ. And along that line, I, I started working for a, a company in uh, Southern California, a, a casino. And, at the casino, I started applying some of the automation and uh, operation skills that I had, and that turned into you know where the kind of where the VMware revolution uh, came into play. So at the casino, we were you know one of the big shops when it came to leading or being in front of how to uh, bring EMC to the virtualization world and how to transform the business from an operations perspective to leverage virtual machines versus hardware. So I you know I did we did very well with that. I actually. Then went into the the specialist group at EMC, focused on uh, helping other EMC customers understand and, and leverage virtualization. Uh, very successful in, in that role. Um, 
you know, following that, we went into uh, actually pretty much where I am now. And and what's really interesting along this journey is, you know, I, I worked with some of the biggest customers at EMC. I worked with, you know, the range of, you know, small to big. And uh, when, you, when you look at, like, what we're delivering them uh, when it came to infrastructure as a service, like when we look at the the message of hey, you know, journey to, to cloud, and you know, here's here's something that's going to get you to the next level. Uh, what I what I kind of realized along the way is that you know that's not quite good enough. Like the the infrastructure as a service isn't getting customers exactly where they want to be. And I use an example of you know if you apply something like SAP to infrastructure as a service, the reality of an SAP engagement is that it takes you eight months to, to actually do the engagement and the the portion of delivering virtual machines is a day. Right? So what's the real problem in that situation? Is it IT moving slowly or is it you know the actual engagement? Uh, so so in going through the you know the history of hey delivering infrastructure as a service, you know I, I started to kind of realize that you know there, there's more to it than just delivering virtual machines. Uh, you know things are are more complicated, and I've started to really travel further up the stack again. So focusing on applications, focusing on uh, developers, focusing on uh, new ways to run infrastructure, and and that's kind of where where I am now. Is is I'm I've been very very excited to see the industry. You know I feel like. We at EMC are and, and EMC Code we're focused on uh, you know something that's a, a viral part of the industry today, uh, focusing on containers and data persistence as one of our, our main themes. Uh, so you know that's a long-winded background, but you know I'm part of you know, the the, revol- the the virtualization you know revolution, and I'm looking at what the dot next is at this point. And we're gonna we're gonna get into kind of dot next. It's definitely one of the things we want to talk about. But if I rewind you just slightly. Um, when you first, like when I first met you, it was really interesting because I, I'm, I'm willing to bet you don't remember it, but it was actually during, um, I'm going to call it VMworld, EMC World, roughly four plus years ago, maybe five years ago. And, uh, you know, you were doing a lot of really interesting things in the background to help the labs run. Uh, mm-hmm. And you've done a lot of stuff with VC ops, a lot of that kind of coding and scripting that you applied in your V specialist role uh, to really help make the early versions of labs uh, run healthy. Uh, and when I actually met you, you and uh, I think it was Irish Spring, uh, your hair, your hair were both on fire uh, because there, <laughs> there were some issues uh, and yeah. you guys were, were cleaning up the mess uh, yeah. on what was going on uh, in the in the actual automation stack from uh, for delivering those labs. Do you kind of you remember those times? You remember those long nights? I, I do, man, and that's been one of the great things about working at EMC is you know I've I've been given the flexibility to expand on skill sets where where I've wanted to, and one of those areas was picking up more of the you know the operational side of automation, and and that's kind of what the, what role that was is you know we were helping VMware run labs and you know there's there's extra things that that they request there's extra things that other customers have requested and they they represent you know automation and integration opportunities for EMC, and so I've been doing that for the Past three to four years, and it's it's been the last year and a half that I've gotten very very serious about you know doing this in a way that scales for EMC. So figuring out how to take you know that idea of creating glue between EMC and other technology, specifically now like open source technology, uh, but figuring out how to get a team wrapped around delivering that stuff in a open source friendly way. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. That said, we do a segment every single week uh, called This Week in Tech History. And I don't know if there's a great segue to it, but it is certainly a cool a cool topic. So this week in December 1902, the first Trans-Pacific Telegraph cable is beginning to be laid. Uh, it's connecting San Francisco to Honolulu. It took uh, nearly a year at sea to make this happen and about 4,400 kilometers of cable uh, after that public messages began to flow. Um, so I did a little research today. The longest underwater cable is called FLAG, and it's fiber optic link around the globe, and it's roughly 28,000 kilometers, and it connects the UK to Japan and many other places in between. So on that line of communication, um, given how far that we've come with digital communication and connected things, uh, is is in-flight internet now part of uh, your hier- your hierarchy of needs? Yeah, uh, for me, for sure. And I can't tell you how how frustrated I, I get when I'm on a plane. My email doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work 
as I expect it to. You know, I, I, I tend to do a decent amount of traveling, and my expectations have definitely climbed in the last, like, two to three years. So very much so. And so, like, what happens if you, uh, like, on those flights, those rare flights, I have one to go to Hopkinton where it's just no internet, and it, it's almost painful. Um, like, you know, what do you end up doing in those situations? Do you, do you, do you know ahead of time? What if you didn't know that you weren't going to have Wi-Fi on the flight? Uh, do you do you tend to find something to just kind of read, or do you try to knock out a bunch of offline emails, or what's your mo for a, a an internetless flight? Yeah, you know, it would be one of a few things. Like I could be tackling uh, planning for some emails, uh, but I tend to not do emails anymore nowadays. I tend to do real time communication in Slack, so I don't have too much of that to do. Uh, but typically, it's going to be planning for team things, whether that's uh, blog posts or projects. You know, I'll pull up, pull up Notepad and you know I'll create a couple pages of ideas to to go through so that I can uh, you know figure out the plan for you know the quarter or what have you. I did three trips back to uh, EMEA, to two to Ireland, one to Spain this last quarter, and I can't tell you how much content that I I pumped out during those trips, and that refers to blog posts and and notes, and I can only imagine like you know Chad himself. Yeah, it's got to be the same thing. With the amount of blog posts that he puts out, he's got a lot of flight time. And I'm, I'm sure he sits down in that seat and you get three or four quality hours and you put some, some pretty good content out. So I think that's pretty much the MO, the, the <laughs> blogs and the notes. And, and, and sometimes I'm doing development work too, which is pretty awesome. You know, using laptops uh, nowadays, you, you have the ability to, to bring most of that stuff local. So I can do a ton of development work if I want to during those flights, even without the Wi-Fi access. That's awesome. And so you're speaking of uh, kind of enabling code um you know let's we're gonna go ahead and dig into code a little bit more um you know roughly uh you know i'd say it's something like a year and a half ago or so that code was kind of officially formed uh, it may have been a little bit unofficial at the time uh, you know a little bit before that but you now there's two different acronyms for code right so community on ramp for it's easy for me to say brent community on ramp for development developer enablement and or code open deploy everywhere so yeah. is there an official one or are they both official? I think they're both official. And, uh, and I have another one <laughs> just to add to the pile. Uh, but I have one which is EMC as code. All right, so one of the, I think one of the important things that, that we're doing, and, and when you look at you know, the infrastructure as a, a code category, right, we're talking about delivering things and leveraging software to be able to integrate infrastructure into platforms at the end of the day. And you know, I, I feel very strongly that as a team, you know, one of our, we, we've got like four pillars to what we do to be successful. Uh, the first one is, is really contributing to open source projects. Uh, to help EMC drive, you know, the the area of focus. The other would be um, actually, you know, creating uh, projects that are are thought leading. Uh, so between those two, we have you know this this glue technology, and I feel I feel very strongly that. Uh, when we take the the infrastructure as, as or the infrastructure as code idea and we apply that to what we're doing, it really turns into delivering EMC as code to developers. So enabling developers to integrate EMC into their platforms. That's interesting. So the like when you come to the four pillars, I heard contribute open source, and yep. I heard create projects that are thought leading. Yeah. Um, what are the other pillars, or did I miss them? Yeah, so driving awareness. Okay. So making sure that as we work on things that we're integrating with the community, right? that we're being good citizens within the community. So you'll, you can look at a, a, the community.emccode.com. It's, it's an open place where everybody from the industry and anyone who really wants to be can, be can take part in a lot of the conversations that we're having. So the motto of, of code, of code open deploy everywhere, uh, you know, this is actually seen you know, in one of the first ways as how we publish things on the website. And whether that's through a public roadmap, through the community being open to anyone who wants to join, uh, even our, our scheduling for conferences, et cetera. Like all that stuff's available through the website. That's awesome. The, so, yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say the, the, the last pillar is really all about being good citizens. So, in order to be successful in the open source world, uh, we can't. We can't take this mindset that we've had before, uh, whether that's a closed mindset, whether that's a focused on only e EMC technology mindset. Uh, we need to be. Uh, we need to take this open mindset and apply it to being good citizens uh, when we actually create these projects. So we want to be able to act as if, meaning as we do things, we want the whether it's EMC internal or people external to be able to look at what we're doing and understand it and have respect to the fact that hey, these th these guys are doing things the way that are compatible with open 
open source models. No, I think that's great. We definitely need to be more cognizant of, of everything that's out there. If we look at uh, you know ourselves as EMCers, just kind of myopically, we'll probably lose a bunch of market share and and, and mind share for for that matter. Yep. For so kind of along those same lines, um, why was EMC Code formed? Who formed it? And you know, I mean, it's it's becoming it's becoming very very I guess pervasive in our in our talk tracks with our customers and just open source in general but what was the impetus for it yeah the it's a EMC code is a strategic initiative that was formed by Jeremy Burton and the the leader of, of code at the time who really drove the the idea and, and drove it to actually be created was Brian Gracely uh, so he was a, a fantastic leader during the the first half of the code team um, and the you know the, the driver behind it was looking at you know where if you look at the whether it's cloud native or it's the third platform or whatever you want to define there's applications being built in new ways there's there's customers that the EMC has there's customers that EMC would love to have uh, and I, and I always go go back to the the idea of the the market cap for EMC because it tends to be a pretty good indicator of uh, how successful you are or not or, or how aligned you are to viral things in the industry and if you look at EMC's market cap market cap we've done very well right I think that you know we've had you know a steady uh, steady market cap right we've we've been good as far as delivering products we've been good to our customers and they love love us for that but when you look at and if you compare it to other companies out there you compare it to the Ubers of the world uh, you compare it to the other ones that have this viral growth uh, that are at the end Today, even worth more as a market cap than, than maybe EMC today. Like we're we're missing on that customer base because if we were relevant to these customers, then you would be seeing our market cap grow similar to theirs at the time that they're growing. So so the the idea, I think the big macro vision is you know there's something that that we can be doing to to help make EMC relevant to hyperscale data centers, to ways that these new te- these new companies are running uh, technology. And at the end of the day. Uh, what we're what we're expecting is that the customers of today of EMC are going to be doing things in similar ways, right? So if you look at it a year ago, a lot of people would say, "Hey, there's there's no way that any customer would run like Google. There's no way they'd run like Facebook. There's no way they'd run like these other big big boys in the industry." Uh, but I think what we're hearing more of is that you know as they as those companies you know move the needle forward, right? As you know, Google created containers uh, many, a few years back, right? That, that was kind of like the beginning of it being. Um, Know, available to the general masses as a, something that's readily consumable uh, or that people wanted to consume. Um, you know, it's an example of like the, the leaders contributing and then opening the industry for other people, such as EMC customers, to start following. Uh, so the, the idea is to hey, you know, recognize the trend, uh, make sure that we're aligned to help EMC be relevant, and then help EMC customers, you know, whether it's net new or existing customers, take advantage of those new technologies that are coming out. And why do you think that the shift towards open source has become important? Do you think it's a a grassroots thing, or has uh, you know enterprise leadership or just kind of leadership in general recognized the opportunity that can can come out of the open source community? You know, I I think so. I personally come from the enterprise background, and I've been blown away over the past. A year, year and a half or so that I, you know, since I've started, since I jo- actually joined GitHub, since I started doing things in more open ways, I've been blown away at like how quickly the open source world ha- is moving, uh, how much really interesting technology is brought to the table. Like I, I can't tell you how refreshing it is as a technologist to be able to go to these open source conferences and actually see open source, uh, you know, people that are experts in the field with a ton of credibility present on top and educate audiences you know the the shift I think is 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 it uh, I think it's more of a, a grassroots thing first right the I think the enterprise is coming along to to realize you know what it means to be open source or what it means to support open source and, and I think my example there is you know if we if we bring open source technology to enterprises today uh, Typically, the the and when we say, hey, in order to you know bring this solution to you, or in order to operate the solution, it's going to involve this open source thing. Typically, the the customer's response is going to be, you know, is there professional services that can help me? You know, what what is you know how am I going to be able to operationalize this? And and so I think that the the enterprise customer of today is is moving along. 
but they're still focused on you know how to leverage that type of technology uh, in in older ways. So I think that the the pure like the open source movement is is more of a grassroots movement, uh, but the enterprise is catching up. And so speaking of like taking the education to the masses, um, you know we we notice right. You guys have I mean we've noticed code specifically. Uh, you guys present at DockerCon, at MesosCon, at OzCon. They all end with Con. Uh, we're going to have to rename <laughs> EMC World to EMCCon, DellCon, yep. VMCon, whatever it may be. So that being said, you guys, ContainerCon, you've been there. Um, you know, how do you, how do you equate the community response to this um, from, from you bringing that education to the masses? People are, are, are very excited. I, you know, the, we've got, I think Jonas pays a, a ton of attention on uh, driving internal awareness into the EMC SEs, SE community. Uh, he does a ton of uh, enablement videos that all go to YouTube. Uh, so it's, it's actually a joint posting. We do internal videos that are for uh, the, the quarterly training, accreditation training, and all of those actually jointly go out to YouTube for the general world to consume. So the, the, the feedback from that stuff is is phenomenal uh, so we're, we're excited to be able to like put that stuff together and and we also are excited to put together more forward-looking information as well because uh, I think at a certain point uh, are we gonna be is everybody gonna be caught, caught up on where things are going probably not but we still need to keep ahead of the ball we still need to be looking forward as far as war technologies going so uh, we're, we're getting great feedback from it all though and so if you look at the people who might be going to those things as, as people who have already kind of embraced the, the, the leading edge or the bleeding edge and maybe a little bit you know, further down the stack from that, when you talk about those big uh, you know, enterprises, they may have some people thinking like that, but how do, you, how do you think or do you have any ideas about what you guys do next to drag in the huge enterprise or the, you know, the mid-market enterprise or whatever it may be up into those conversations to start thinking about how to change their IT business model. Yeah, I believe that that, that, that sits along with our SE organization. I, I think when you, you replay how VMware became very successful, uh, I think the partner ecosystem around VMware is really what drove them to where they are today. Uh, if VMware was just a virtualization company and, and they didn't have a large ecosystem, I, I don't feel like they'd be you know, in the same position as they are today. So I believe that SE community, you know, we have you know, a ton of you guys out there that, that can help drive the message into these customers. And the reality is that, you know, EMC is relevant with things like Docker and Mesos today. So if customers are looking at, you know, how they can run, you know, their, you know, run infrastructure in new ways, you know, now's the time they can start looking at it. And if they decide to do it, uh, or if they don't decide to do it, that's, that's all right. But they looked at it. Uh, but we'd love to hear the feedback to say, you know, what will it take for us to get to the dot next like we'd love to hear the feedback to say you know what are your blockers and wh why wouldn't you make this next jump to the the new way of doing things sure so if you th if you think about it you guys kind of started off with 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 the concept in mind the four pillars um, what you wanted to bring to the community now you're soliciting feedback to help continue driving the innovation uh, back to back to the community so with that in mind, what is what's the latest in in the EMC code world? Any projects? I, you know, I saw some stuff about Rack HD, but what else is going on? Yeah, we, so the if you look at the past year for for code, we went through a little bit of a discovery phase of discovering who we are uh, and what we needed to do and how we could impact the organization. And it was about six months ago at, I think, DockerCon this last year, DockerCon US, where we had a team meeting and we just looked back and said, all right, you know, what did we do and did we have the impact that we wanted? You know, yes, we were building the community and yes, I think we're providing some great value there. Uh, but the other thing was, you know, we look at the pillars that we now have, you know, were we actually contributing and helping EMC drive, you know, into these open source worlds? So th that's really where we're at today as far as the focus goes. Yeah, we're still driving community, but we're actually doubling down on uh, how to make sure that we're contributing to these open source projects. And we've got uh, a three focus projects today. That If you go to emccode.github.io, uh, you'll see them listed there. It's actually a great site to go to to, to look at you know, the generally, whether it's specific to what we're focusing on now or filtered by different EMC technology or filtered by different DevOps tools or open source tools. Uh, it's all available from that site. So I think the first project that we'd focus on here is, is project uh, Rexray. So when you look at the um, 
you know, containers for customers. What we what we heard along the way, and what was really interesting, is that you know containers kind of had this open stack open stack philosophy of uh, or you know or open stack had the container philosophy. They both had the same philosophy of like ephemeralness, uh, if that's a word. I forget the word he started with, but ephemeralness may be another one to, to look up. Uh, but they had this idea that you know everything is temporary and that your important data really shouldn't be inside of uh, this object that, that they're controlling. And so as customers are looking at using containers, there's, there's a lot of them out there. And they may not be EMC customers today, but they probably will be in, in the future here. Uh, but as they're looking at you know what workloads can I use with containers, uh, it was very quickly that the list got pared down. It was like, OK, well, you know containers don't have a, a persistent uh, capability, it's probably not a good idea to put your important data in there. And, and so, you know, how you would do that is, is through some other means. So the containers, you know, as of a couple of years ago and, and even most recently, have been focused on for like the, you know, the web tier or the application tier, the things that are stateless and can be thrown away. Uh, so where we are today is that, you know, after seeing that trend of people saying, all right, well, I love the idea of containers. It enables me to be much more nimble, right? much more agile, uh, and, and allow me to have portability across clouds, et cetera. Uh, but how can I apply more use cases? How can I put more things inside of these containers? And so that's, that's where we ended up in terms of a, a premier focus for us, data persistence uh, with containers. The project there is, uh, is Rexray. And the idea with, with Rexray is, is if you have a container runtime such as, as Docker or Mesos uh, or, or others, the, the container runtime really does an offload of all its requests to a storage platform of some sort in, in a one way. And let me, let me compare this as an example. So in the, in the VMware world, if I want to attach something that's external to a virtual machine, I attach a virtual disk or I attach an RDM. Right, so if I, if I want to get a, a dedicated device to it, then I'm going to go create a LUN on a Extreme I.O. or something like that, and I'm going to attach it as an RDM to a VM. And that's how you bring in like an external volume, uh, one of the ways. So in the, in the container world, it's kind of the same idea. If you consider the container an ephemeral thing, then how do I get this external storage to the container? And there's a space between a container runtime and the storage platform that, that really represents a storage orchestration layer to make that process happen. Uh, that space was opened uh, about five months ago by Docker first, because Docker introduced the Docker volume drivers, and they're continuing to introduce other extensibility options for their platform. So Rexray is a project that sits between something like Docker or Basis and our storage platforms and other cloud platforms to deliver persistent storage to uh, applications that are running. Okay. So you started to basically explain one of the key things we brought you here for, which was Rexray. So you explained kind of how it works. Um, is there anything else to it as far as, you know, why don't you give us a little bit more on um, what, what stacks it's supporting as well as uh, what storage it currently supports today, right? Or what other parts, sure. what are the things, what are the other parts of the ecosystem? Yeah. So, so one of the, I'll drive to some, Excuse me. Some of the, the new features that we have and the, the platforms that we just released in zero three one. Um, if you if you say, all right, I want to apply persistence to containers, like that's a checkbox that that can be driven uh, somewhat easily by filling that space. So Rexray represents a a, a piece of software that abstracts uh, many different platforms, and you could kind of think of it as like Viper controller or Copper HD or Cinder, but for uh, containers. Right, so maybe Cinder would probably be the most globally known. Like it's it's a storage orchestration tool. You know, Cinder is for OpenStack. This is for container platforms. Uh, so Rexray today has about eight different drivers, and and something that's pretty interesting that came up recently is as as we were looking at the feedback from Rexray, a, a customer, a user from uh, Apogee, asked a question and said, "Hey, it would be really nice. You know, I, I want to use this in my production environment." but I'm doing things in more of a, a DevOps way where I'm developing against laptops. All my users are using laptops to do all their different services. You know, is there a way that I can run you know, Rexray and give my developers the same experience 
that they would have within a cloud or within talking to a normal platform, but from their laptop. Uh, so, I, so I get to that because that's another interesting aspect of, of something we just released with 0.3.1. So Rexray is a, in itself is intended to be able to use with storage platforms and virtual platforms uh, and cloud platforms. And one of the new additions to it is actually a virtual box driver. So if you if you want to you know sit on your laptop and you want to play with data persistence, you no longer need to spin up a you know a, a scale I/O cluster or you no no longer need to be in AWS or GCE or anything like that. You can actually sit on your laptop and take advantage of these storage persistence features so that you can develop your applications so you can understand you know what's going to happen. So I so I bring that up because it's it's a pretty cool like thing that we we just released. Uh, so VirtualBox is is a supported platform. Um, highly suggest people check it out on there. Super easy to get going. Uh, other ones, as far as cloud path platforms, one recently introduced was is a Google Compute Engine. Uh, that's a great one. The AWS, uh, we have a driver there. And then in terms of the storage platforms, we have the VMAX driver that just came out, the Extreme IO driver, uh, Scale IO driver, and the Isilon driver. So as a whole, I think that's, uh, that's seven or eight drivers that we have. And as just like Cinder, just like Copper HD, you know, the, the Rextray portion is really intended to abstract any of the details of all those little different platforms into a common way of consuming volumes for containers. Okay, so that must be what you describe as guest storage introspection. Yeah, exactly. So, so Rextray is really interesting, and, and the question could be, Hey, you know, you've mentioned you know three other storage abstraction tools. Like, why why another one? Like, why would you introduce this other thing? And the the reality is that, and actually, I, I forgot one platform. So Rexray actually talks to OpenStack as well. So Cinder would be like the eighth. Um, so it's actually Rexray talking sitting on top of Cinder. But let me let me explain. So uh, in terms of the orchestration tools, like in the Platform 2 era, if you look at storage abstraction tools, it was really one job for the most part. It was, and this is referring to like Copper HD or, or Viper, etc. Uh, the job was, how do I uh, abstract all these different storage platforms behind the scenes, and how do I provide a common way to uh, create and remove volumes, and then attach them and mask them to wherever they need to be uh, and be consumed from? That was, that, was, that was kind of a Platform 2 era, you know, consuming LUNs on any type of OS that you want to. And then you moved into uh, another one, which is Cinder, which is the same kind of thing of how do you abstract different platforms, but how do you deliver volumes in an OpenStack use case? So how do you attach them to the OpenStack hypervisor, and how do you make them consumable by the, the VMs there? Uh, so the, the next level, though, is where we are with Rexray because it's one, yeah, it's how do you abstract the platforms, uh, but how do you also do a for how do you also orchestrate the host-based process of attaching volumes to the different containers? Because it's an extra step. It's one request a volume, two map it to where it should be, but then three, there's a host side of Rexray that needs to take over to discover the storage that showed up, to format the, the storage that showed up, to mount it to the container, and then the reverse side of that as you're done using it. And that process on the host side uh, is, is different per platform. Because if I have a storage platform that's iSCSI, then I'm using IQNs. If it's Scale.io, then I'm using kernel drivers. If it's AWS, then I'm using VBDs. Like, the list goes on. So it's, it's another area of abstraction that needed to be handled, which is host-specific. And I think the interesting part about that and the introspection side is uh, you want to be able to you know, introspect and understand like, who you are, but that piece of it needs to happen on a distributed manner. So for every container runtime that's out there, they all need to contain that logic. Uh, the abstraction side of storage, though, is something that can still be centralized. But it's a, it's a new piece of logic that needs to exist within the container runtime or sitting alongside the container runtime. And uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure I got it, but I can probably go get a drawing at some point and figure that one out. It's, <laughs> it's really interesting. There's a, there's a, there's a one-to-many relationship on one side and a kind of one-to-one -one relationship on the other side. And you're simply saying there's some brokerage between the two sides. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I could, if you want to apply it to like a VMware use case, uh, VVols would be a good example, mm-hmm. right? VVols represent the ability for a hypervisor to request storage, have it mapped, and consume it on the fly. And this is the same kind of thing as Rexray combined with Docker or Mesos uh, allows a Docker runtime or a developer to request storage and have it mapped and used on the fly. So if we pull back just a little bit, um, you know, you kind of started talking about this, and I want to make sure it's really concisely said for everybody, um, because I feel like this is kind of a, a very, very new thing. So I want to learn it a little bit slower. Um, mm-hmm. What exact problem do you feel like in kind of a one or two sentence, uh, do you think Rexray is trying, trying to solve? What problem was there that you solved? When, when someone wants to put persistent and important things inside of containers... Uh, that it's not the fact that they're putting the data in the containers, it's that they're running containers in, in the way that people typically do, but they're attaching important data to that container. So Rexray solves the, the storage orchestration problem with getting important data to containers wherever they live. Okay, so I mean, containers are not a new concept. So how, how was this ever a problem in the past or why has it become a problem now and, and how was it ever uh, overcome in the past before prior to Rexray or whatever? Yeah, well, one of the ways that you would typically do this uh, uh, before if, if people actually had these types of use cases would be to build your own automation, build your own orchestration. Uh, so there's, there's customers out there who, and, and maybe the Googles of the world, the people who have been using containers for a while, uh, they have their own storage platforms where they're able to build hard-coded automation to make this a reality for themselves. And what, what we're focused on now and what Docker has been focused on in terms of their extensibility and Mesos as well is uh, you know, making sure that it's, it's an open thing for everyone. So we want to make sure that you know, whatever operating system you're using, you know, whatever container runtime you're using, uh, they're all able to, to uh, work with volumes in a, a similar way. Um, does, that, does that answer it? It, it does for well, me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there's the automation piece, but I guess what I'm, maybe I'm failing to, to connect the dots here, but when you talk specifically about container persistence, how, are you, how was that achieved in the past? I mean, is, can, can automation do that or could it do that? Yeah. I, I, I feel like maybe, maybe it could, but I feel like there needs to be some other avenue for the presentation yeah, uh, yeah. of that storage. Yeah, maybe you know, one way to think about it is um, if, if, you're, if you're in that world where you have important data, uh, you could always uh, attach uh, volumes to servers ahead of time. Right, so it could be an operational burden to get like the, your important storage to the right system ahead of time, and then it would be up to the developers to say, "Hey, I know it's there, and I'm going to go use it." But in reality, that that limits the the usefulness of that container host. Right, it, it implements a uh, or it puts a burden on the operations team to be involved in the the delivering of storage to the right place, and it it really you know it changes your your agil- agility because that's what we're trying to get with containers. You want to be able to run them you know anywhere, anytime, and not have those types of limitations that hosts would would deliver you. Uh, so so yes, like people were doing it before, but they were doing it with a process that was orchestrated outside of a developer workflow. Uh, what we want to drive to is, is we want developers to be able to define applications and with those applications define you know, their volume that they want to be able to consume. And then we want like a container scheduler as it receives that job to be able to send it anywhere that it wants to. And under the covers, like the magic would be something like Rexray providing the glue, basically saying, hey, I hear you want an application running. I'm going to go get your volume for you and I'm going to attach it to your container before this thing is said that it's ready to be used. And so, I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting. And you guys have done something relatively unique with Rexway. Um, do you see a, how do you, what does the landscape look like? I don't know if I want to call them competitors. Do you see a, an analogous product? Um, do you like inside of somebody's specific ecosystem or in a third party scenario? Yeah, yeah. I think the, the the biggest one would be from Cluster HQ. Uh, that's their Flocker project, and you know they've done a, a tremendous job. I think that they've been thought leaders in, in the industry, uh, and when it comes to data persistence, um, you know they've their the focus comes from I think you know two to three years ago as far as where the the Docker ecosystem was at that time. So they did a lot of work, and they they definitely put in a lot of sweat to to get get the ecosystem to where it is today. Uh, 
The Rex-Ray approach, though, is much different in that you know we didn't have to look at what it looked like two, two or three years ago to do data persistence. We're able to start from scratch and say, okay, if we wanted to embed this you know glue technology if we wanted to uh, you know embed the ability to have data persistence inside of you know runtimes like docker you know what what language would we do this in and the natural reaction is that we would choose something like go uh, and so rexray is you know, written in go and it's something that's able to, to be embedded inside of docker and that's actually a, a path that we're working on is figuring out how to minimize the portions of or actually kind of like decouple rexray into two things one being a, a server-side abstraction, the other being the client side that does all the discovery, mount, et cetera. And if we minimize it enough and make it abstract enough so that anyone can leverage it, then that represents something that actually could eventually be within a, a Docker platform natively. And if we're successful in that, what we could be enabling is something like Docker or Mesos to natively talk to storage platforms. So rather than having this space between a storage platform and the Docker runtime, you know, the, the Rexray space, we would actually take the two pieces and say, okay, a piece of Rexray, like an open API, should live on our platform. And then the other piece of it, the, the client discovery, should live within a container runtime. And then you can have something like Docker talking directly to Extreme IO to go do its thing without this, this middleman, uh, this glue piece uh, there. Okay. And I know that... that we as you know, we EMC EMC code helped contribute to Flocker, um, which I, I feel like Rexray was was around before the Flocker tool. Is that correct? Well, Flocker's been around for I think a couple of years now. Uh, okay. If you look at the GitHub stars. It's got a bunch of GitHub stars, um, and and Rexray is about a an eight month old project. Uh, but yes, like we do have contributions to Flocker, so Extreme IO and Scale IO. There are drivers there so that people can leverage Flocker with that use case. Uh, so yeah, but but Rexray is is a newer project focused architecturally on a different uh, path. Okay, gotcha. Now now it makes more sense because you know before it was just like Flocker does container persistence, Rexray does container persistence, and now we're we're differentiating the two. Yeah, and it's you know I, I would. Have, it's it's up to customers. Like they're able to choose both both routes. Uh, the the Rexray route, you know, the architecture of it is super simple. The installation of it is super simple. You do a uh, curl bash command to install it. You set a configuration file, and you're off and going. Uh, so it's it's very easy to to get up and running, and it's something that I think customers as they get their hands on, they'll they'll realize the power of it. Uh, the focus of Rexray additionally is to be a super advanced uh, storage orchestration engine. So when you talk about you know the features that whether it's EMC or competitors or cloud are delivering, we want to make sure those are all available to the containers and to developers. So something that Rexray has is uh, a few of the features would be like the snapshotting capability, so you can create these volumes from volumes, you can create snapshots of volumes, uh, and that functionality is all consistent across providers. Another important thing that, that Rexray is delivering is actually something called uh, preemption. It's new within the 0.3 release. And, and so if I take a step slightly back here, we're uh, we're we're delivering very well on where customers are today, which is which they said I want container I want my storage with containers. The details below the cover though are people are starting to focus more on higher up the stack, thinking, well, I really need like the container runtime solutions solved. I really need to focus on container scheduling now. Like I really need to treat my container hosts as a cluster because if I'm going to start you know putting important workloads within this cluster that I want to make sure that my containers are available whenever I need the containers. Like, I need to make sure as a host fails, the container started somewhere else, et cetera. So the container area, as more enterprises and other customers like that are focusing on, like, availability, the container scheduler is becoming more important. So Rexray's trajectory at this point is focusing on not only delivering and, you know, adding platforms, et cetera, but how can we enable features that drive cluster functionality and availability? So specific to Rexray and enterprise adoption and things like that, um, my first question for you is, what are you seeing from a market adoption standpoint on this product or you know or Flocker? Um, you know, but you know, what does that look like to you today? Yeah, I can't speak to Flocker directly, uh, but I can say from from Rexray that the the popularity is increasing. So GitHub stars are on the rise. Uh, the recognition by 
EMC, as a, it's actually a big deal, is that we've had a couple press releases where Rexray has been included in the press release. Uh, so the recognition by EMC is is on the rise, and and I think as you know more of our SE field understands it as a solution for EMC technology with containers, that we're seeing more and more customer requests. Uh, and you know we do uh, workshops sometimes as EMC Code, which helps customers get their hands on you know persistence with containers. Uh, we're looking to get more of you guys out there educated on how you can do the same thing with your customers. So the, the feedback and the, the interest is, is rising uh, and I think it's directly in line with you know, the, the maturity of the area and the focus on driving more features like availability when it comes to the persistence in containers. And so it sounds like those features are coming again directly from feedback from these enterprises that are really starting to adopt it and kind of uh, pick up on certain things. So when we look at um, Rexray and you look at your most recent release, um, there's also there's obviously stuff around Kubernetes there and some things you've done. Um, you know, I don't know what the relationship between that and say Mesos might be long term. Is there are you are you are you able to talk about with that press release itself um, some of the large enterprises that actually were part of that kind of story and that adoption? I've seen some tangential information, but nothing that actually combined the two words together. Um, is that something that's openly talked about at this point? Yeah, not quite openly talked about yet. Okay. Uh, so a lot of the the implementation, you know, you'll see through GitHub issues and through uh, you know people on Slack talking about the project. Uh, so we're not we don't have a formal release with a uh, a company yet saying like this is you know what they're using in production. So I can't can't quite say that. Okay, it'll be exciting. We'll we'll come back and do a five minute just on that sometime. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, definitely. So you've got you know I was really excited about Kubernetes. Um, you know, go, rolling back into what Google can do. And, you know, even what Docker could do. Uh, and, you know, you guys talking about the fact that hopefully to the, you get your product to the point where they just say, hey, let's integrate this as a middleman. Uh, let's let the containers do what they need to do. And let's, you know, essentially allow us to expose the platform for what it should be doing. Um, is there a possibility or do you think it's more likely for them to do that versus why wouldn't they just go out and write this thing themselves and just include it as the, in the next version? Um, just like they're already trying to do with, you know, the stuff you guys did around security, you know, they're really trying to fix that even further. Yeah. I think those type of platforms like the Kubernetes, uh, it really depends on how wide they decide that their focus is going to be, you know, tackling the world of, of storage is, is not an easy challenge. You know, figuring out how to create an API. Uh, it's actually been attempted many times. How do I create like an open API that all the storage players are going to adhere to? Like, how do I how do I actually enable this ecosystem? So I'm not quite sure like how how widely someone like Kubernetes is going to focus. Whether they they think that you know the the Rexray area is you know something narrow enough that they could include, or whether they feel like opening it up to the the ecosystem is the right way to go. I I would feel like the latter. Like my our intention with Rexray is uh, we're actually abstracting pieces of it uh, into a project called uh, Lib Storage. So we're taking the the control plane side of it and making it super open, and then we're taking the uh, the host specific introspection side and making it a Lib Storage client. And our hope is that you know if we keep this thing lightweight enough, if we keep it you know open enough for uh, for people to take advantages of, such as the API, that we'll find it being adopted and bringing common functionality uh, across container runtimes and also across container schedulers. So when you say uh, I want data persistence with containers, it shouldn't really matter, you know, what you decide your running stack is. And that can that could be uh, Cloud Foundry, right, as your platform. It could be Deus. It could be Kubernetes as your scheduler. Like whatever you decide, we hope to to be able to drive the same functionality into those different ways to run your infrastructure. So apart from the schedule that you just mentioned. What's next for Rexray? Is there a roadmap for it that you can share with us? Yeah, uh, and it's it's all open. So if you if you bring up EMC code GitHub.io, uh, we have a roadmap tab on the top there, and that's where you can go see all the projects that we're working on. Uh, we've slated out to uh, Q1 of 2016 because you know further than a quarter out, things change too quick, and you know, you're going to be a dinosaur if you're still trying to you know, tackle a project you planned six months ago. Uh, so so the future of it is is very interesting. I, I was laying out a, a little bit of it a second ago. You know, uh, we've added 
many driver or a handful of drivers recently, which was the the GCE driver, the VMAX driver, the Isilon, and the VirtualBox driver. Those all came in in the last uh, month. So those four new drivers, the the functionality. Uh, you know, we're actually going to be looking to the community in terms of like you know new things that we want to drive into this. We want to hear you know where the gaps are and what people expect out of it. Uh, but if you if you play it forward, right? And if you play like this lib storage thing, uh, we're focusing on you know as we you know abstract client from server and we have the client living closer to the container runtimes, etc. Uh, the server side is actually going to be sitting within possibly a, a Mesos framework. Uh, delivering us some some really interesting functionality there, and you know, Mesos is is much different when it comes to schedulers. Uh, so I don't know if we have time to dig into that, or if you guys wanted to, but I think that's actually a big part of Rextray's uh, roadmap is figuring out how to properly sit within this data center operating system that uh, Mesosphere is actually delivering. Is that a is is the whole? May, maybe it wasn't, but it's it seems relatively similar. Is is a lot of the stuff around Mesos and Kubernetes? Um, slightly related to, you know, Josh kind of, uh, Josh Bernstein kind of sort of uh, being part of the EMC code team, or I can't directly say it, is it the manager or whatever it may be? Um, You know, with you guys kind of reporting up into him, is that a little bit of direction from all the things that he experienced? Or is that just um, ironic, you know, that it happened, you know, together? Now I feel like a bit Uh, of Alanis Alanis (laughs) Morissette. No, but go ahead. No, Josh is the leader of EMC Code, uh, and he's got a. I think he's a perfect guy for it. You know, he's got a phenomenal background in operations at, at one of the uh, you know larger operations shops uh, in the world. His you know his experience in being hands on, like the credibility and the knowledge that comes along with that, is something that you know being in the field or 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 you know working in a, a blocks all the time, you just don't get. So his his. You know, position as far as leading code, uh, it was actually a huge validator for us. So as of six months ago, when the code team got together and decided, like, here's what we're going to focus on, the two main things were Docker and and Mesos. Uh, and in general, we, we do focus on all like open source technologies, but the two focus communities that we wanted to be measured by were really Docker and Mesos. And when he joined the team about six months ago, it was actually a very, a very good initial validation of the strategy, because he did come from a big background of, of both Docker and Mesos, uh, and specifically Specifically in the Mesos world, uh, I think we all feel that there's a, a ton of growth that can take place, and there's a ton of opportunity for you know not just applying you know EMC you know storage technology within frameworks, but also applying persistence to containers. So you've talked about Rextray. We we dug into that, and that's awesome. Uh, I'm really excited to see how this thing continues to grow and become adopted. Uh, but that was only one of three focus project that you have for EMC code. So what are the other two real quick? Okay, so the the other one would be Mesos module DVDI. And the Mesos and it's a uh, you know it's a <laughs> it's not a project name, you know, but it's actually the name of the repo, so we didn't get too creative on that cuz we wanted people to know what it was. Uh, the Mesos module DVDI uh, represents a, a Docker volume driver isolator for Mesos. And what that means is that like in the in the Mesos world, if I want to drive uh, things that are persistent, if I I want to run Hadoop or I want to run Cassandra as a framework, then those things are all going to run inside containers. And they're probably not going to be running inside of Docker containers when it comes to the, the framework decision. So in Mesos, there's two options. It's, it can either be Dockerized or it can be Mesos containerized. So the frameworks tend to leverage the Mesos containerized like native form of containers. So when it when it comes to if, if the framework's making that decision to be containerized, then previously there was no ability to actually get storage to the container. Uh, if it was a container that was Dockerized, then we would we we're able to leverage Rextray in its native form today, just like we do with normal Docker stuff. So the project comes from this idea that for containers that aren't Docker containers, how do I get storage to them? So for these frameworks like Cassandra, how do we make sure we can apply this persistent storage when these containers run as well? So Mesos module DVDI is that piece uh, is a piece of software that, that runs on the Mesos agent that delivers that functionality, which brings it in par with how Docker works today. The third project to highlight would be RackHD. 
and that's a that's a super exciting one as well. Uh, I can't tell you how uh, you know, how excited we are as as code because there's a, a highly talented team uh, that sits in Seattle that's driving the RackHD uh, delivery and driving the community with us around RackHD. We we just had a blog post on it the other day done by by Kenny Coleman. You know, gave a, a, a decent review of, of what RackHD is. Uh, he has a, a video on there that walks through everyone to say you know here's here's what it looks like to deploy uh, so so rack HD uh, as a as a project is, is focused on uh, how do we deliver a uh, an API which gives the comprehensive ability to uh, to deploy uh, rack to deploy servers and to uh, install operating systems and update firmware and etc uh, in a uh, driven by an open source project and I, I think that the background behind it though is that there's plenty of tools that have done this combination of things, but depending on the customer, they each probably have their own combination of goods that delivers uh, what RackHD does. So we feel like it's it's a differentiating open source project because it's, it, it allows uh, us to simplify and standardize uh, the, the tool set that it takes to actually get this functionality to customers. So, there, I mean, it's a, there's a really interesting change that you keep highlighting kind of within EMC and maybe it's happening other places as well. Um, products are coming out of, you know, somewhere um, and somewhat being handed to you guys to uh, to caretake or to make it much more consumable uh, by developers. Um, so, you know, with with RackHD specifically, that came out of, um, you know, Octo or Global Hardware or whatever it may be. Um, and now it's a, a code project, right? So what's, you know, what's going on here where you guys are now starting to become like the open source caretakers for these things that maybe are, are innovated internally uh, yeah. versus on your team. That's kind of an you interesting know, thing. You know, I, I would say act as if. So the, the fourth pillar within code, which is to make sure as we work on projects that we do things in an open source friendly way. Uh, and that's going to drive some of your own success, right? So sometimes it takes longer to do things the right way. But as you act as that shining light to say, like, here's the way you do it right, uh, you're going to get more people come to you to, to get some assistance, uh, you know, with bringing those projects to the open source world. And and RackHD would be one of those, I think. If you, if you take a peek at uh, under the covers, if you look at their CI testing. Uh, if you look at all the uh, the documentation they've done, they've done a phenomenal job of you know taking something that was actually you know a, a, a bunch of code, uh, very well documenting it, uh, and very well applying uh, CI and, and DevOps methodologies to delivering the software. Uh, so so I think you know code being you know the the example uh, with specific projects like our featured projects of how to do it the right way drives more and more people to to ask us to help them you know bring things to the open source world. So. So we're excited to be in this position. And so specifically with Rack HD, uh, it just came out, right? It's uh, it's you know days old. Uh, you know it's still in the still in the incubator or whatever almost. Um, what's next for you guys with Rack HD? Do you guys already have some things in mind that maybe it wasn't quite? It needs a little bit more of this or uh, how to cross integrate it with that or whatever it may be. Uh, do you have plans? For, is there already a tab somewhere on EMC code that tells me the roadmap? And I should yes. just. I should just RT, I should just read. Yeah, read, read. It is. Uh, if you if you look at the github.com uh, emc code slash roadmap, uh, I think next quarter we have a, a line item there focused on uh, something that we could be doing, and. And so, so RackHD delivers an API today. And what we helped them out with in, in phase one as code's responsibility was to make sure that the developer experience, as far as being able to use Vagrant, you know, being able to you know, make sure we have like a, a demo of how to use it, you know, that people can understand it and get their hands on it. Like that was kind of a phase one with RackHD for code. The phase two is going to be starting to build things around RackHD. And that's driving RackHD into the different open source communities and into the open source ecosystem. So Something that we have targeted on there for next quarter would be like a Docker machine plugin for RackHD. So if you want to, you know, leverage Docker on bare metal hardware, uh, and you want to have, you know, a bunch of white boxes uh, sitting around that RackHD can consume on demand, then you could you could actually leverage and give your developers access to, or your operations team access to the Docker machine, and that would be responsible for going out to RackHD uh, and then actually spinning up a physical server and installing Docker and getting it ready to be used with Swarm, etc. Uh, so, so yeah, like we have a next phase, and it's it's all about how we approach most of the things in EMC, which is how do we drive these things into the open source community? How do we make make them successful? And it's going to be about contributing drivers, uh, API bindings, etc. for for HD. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit myself really hard in the face, and then remind everybody else. 
If you want to know EMC Codes roadmaps, go to their website because everything's open. I'm laughing so hard because I had no idea that existed. And frankly, uh, I'm, you know, I'm to the point where I'm almost want to suggest it for every product. I know it's kind of, <laughs> I know it's hard to do, uh, yeah. but I, I love it. I'm, I'm laughing because it's so novel and so easy to do. So, yeah, and it, yeah, that's really cool. And it's like, we, we line that stuff up. So as we decide that we're going to work on things, we'll put it on there. We've got a few different phases. Uh, one is, um, you know, there's a phase for like pre-approval, approved, active, and, and completed. And then as we complete things, you'll actually see that we have like a, I think we now have like a here button. So as we complete them, they typically involve like an awareness phase. And the awareness phase is where we do blog posts and videos about what we worked on. And so if you want to like see a project and say, okay, what do you work on? And then go hit like the here button. It should take you to like a blog post that summarizes like what the heck that thing is. So along the lines of of uh, consumption, getting out in the community, you 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 brought up Vagrant, and I you know, I see a lot of the projects uh, on EMC Code being Vagrantized, and that's air quotes. Uh, but like Copperhead, Scale IO plus Puppet, Mesos plus Rexray, Extreme IO plus Flocker, uh, for you know for the. CLI challenge like myself yeah. um, I think it's a great way to get it out there and, and make it consumable but why has why has Vagrant become that, that model that's been you know, so pervasive throughout EMC code uh, so, so if you look at it today, like there's plenty of tools that have come out recently, which, uh, which would do similar things. You know, Hashish has been, they've been, <laughs> I would say that wrong, but they, they've been very busy, uh, you know, working on, you know, what it's going to, what the vagrant.next is. Uh, so, so the choice of vagrant was, uh, based on a year or so ago, uh, but things have moved quickly, but the model is basically focusing on, you know, what is a, what is a tool, not necessarily you know, a, something you'd use in production, right? but what is a tool that can help people consume uh, our technology or our, the thing that we created in an easy way? Uh, and, and so Vagrant seems to be something that is you know, wildly popular, has plenty of you know, plugins, et cetera, to it, super simple to use. People don't tend to have problems with it. So that tends to be the choice for, for people to, to leverage. And yeah, so I think it's great. It just gets it out there, and it's, again, it's very, very easy to consume. And yeah, and 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 just so you know, we had uh, we had Mitchell Hashimoto on. Yeah, and he specifically talked about Auto being the successor to Vagrant. So mm -hmm. is that is that being um, being reviewed by your team? Yeah, definitely. Like as we, but we want to make sure that if we if we do something, the point is to to make it very, very consumable. Uh, so if Auto is not you know a a pervasive platform yet then we're adding another barrier of entry for people to actually like play with the technology or, or consume the demo that we created. Uh, so, so I think auto is you know, getting more popular. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be targeting some of those types of tools in future for, for demos as more people are using them. And you sort of mentioned, you said, you know, that was kind of what we picked a year and a half ago. Um, and we know auto's here. You wouldn't necessarily have to pick auto or HashiCorp at all. Is there something else? And if you kind of look out there on the landscape where you said, hey, I'd like to make this super consumable and easy to do, yeah. I, would, I, would, I, would, I might standardize on this today versus, say, somewhat, <clears throat> somewhat standardizing on that. You're not locked into it, but you've somewhat used it a lot. Yeah. So when I think about that, like I think that, that for a, a demo and something that's simple for a repeatable way to, to spin up uh, something that people can consume, like Vagrant does a great job. But it's not, to me, necessarily a tool that you could use in production. And you know, as we work on projects, like I don't, I don't want a bunch of time focused on creating a, a demo that's not useful to people, like in other ways than just being a demo. So I, I put it on that page is, you know, is there a tool that's coming up? And, and another one I'd name would be like Terraform, as an example. Uh, is there another tool that that can be used as we apply our efforts to it that it's used in multiple ways? It's not only like for you know, demo purposes, be able to do it, spin up easily, but it's also be able to be used in production scenarios where customers want to automate like their infrastructure using what we created. So yeah, like the, I think the ne next way of thinking about it is, you know, tools have progressed. You know, something like Auto would be a great target. Uh, Terraform would be another one. You know, making sure that we're aligned towards the multi-use case of the demo, plus actually being able to use it for production as well. Super cool stuff. So we're uh, we're getting towards the end here. Um, I have one last kind of. Maybe it's an esoteric question here, right? So, um, you know, we see analytics, we talked about it being kind of a mechanism for delivering business value, right? You get some insights and maybe it gives you some things where you can go make some more money. Um, and so we, there's a lot of things that kind of make up analytics. If you were to take that same kind of story of analytics does this 
for a business uh, and look at what EMC code and the product that EMC code is either making or touching. Um, what do you see that bridging a gap for delivering to a business? I think that EMC code is going to help businesses, uh, you know, adopt open source technology. Right? I feel that that the the pieces of technology that EMC brings to the world when it comes to storage, uh, as an example, are can be very very important in a lot of these applications. And so I think that we're going to be able to lever uh, allow customers to adopt open source technologies quicker uh, and allow them to be more agile, like the companies of the future, the companies like Uber. So I feel like we're we're very well positioned to help customers take advantage and and you know be like those companies. That's awesome. I like it. Quote that up. You can put it on your website. So <laughs> which is where everybody should go. So speaking of finding EMC code, um, you know I we we talked about Slack earlier. Um, you know you want to go ahead and drive people to your website, your Slack, your GitHub, or anything else. Um, go ahead and give them that information now. Yeah, I think the central place. Like we do a great job of bringing everything together. I think EMC code dot GitHub.io uh, is a central place that you can go to take a peek at everything that we're working on. So we have a, a dashboard of featured projects there, which we're talking about. Uh, below that, you have things that the community has contributed, uh, such as the, the Dev High Pro 5 program that we have within the EMC SE community and partner community. Uh, and then on the top, you have a bunch of tabs that list where we're going to be on the calendar and the roadmap and, and et cetera. So I, that's a great place to go. And then the, the final thought is the community around EMC code. Uh, on the right side of it, in the middle, you're going to see a Slack button. So feel free to jump on that Slack button. I think we have about 500 to 600 people at this point and typically about 80 people online at a time. Uh, if you have any questions, you want to be a part of some, some pretty awesome conversations that happen, like jump on Slack and, and have at it. We're, we'd be glad to have anyone uh, have, you know, being a part of the conversations. Yeah, I think I'm only subscribed to like maybe 10 of the 50 channels in there. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, there's so much t content to consume. I find myself not working and that's bad. And you know, I'm, I'm bad enough at that. So, um, now regarding Clint, um, so what are the ways that you would like, uh, you know, how, how do people reach out to you? I know you're part of the, the big team, but, uh, mm -hmm. you specifically, how do they reach out to you? Yeah, I think the easiest, most global way for people would probably be through uh, um, a Twitter. So at Clinton S. Kitson, K-I-T-S-O-N. And yeah, that'd be a, a global way. And then the other one would be through Slack. So those those two mediums are, are really where I do most of my business nowadays. Um, I'm kind of glad to say that uh, my email only opens up about once a day, uh, but everything else is real-time communication. So you know, glad to hear from anyone out there. I, I love that. It's really interesting. If you remember, uh, do you remember when Google Wave came out and they tried to replace email with Google Wave. I don't know if they were just ahead of their time or didn't integrate it appropriately like uh, the chat ops type stuff has done, but um, it's interesting to see how, how little people are using email these days. Yeah. No, it's fantastic, man. So, I, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the team that we have, the code team, is super talented, a bunch of super smart guys and, uh, and gals, of course, but the, you know, the, the real-time nature of having a distributed team and having everybody in, in tight communication via Slack, uh, I would say I'd, I'd take 95% of the benefits, and then I, I'd deal with the 5% of the non-benefits in, uh, in different ways. But most of the time, it's, it's all goodness in there. Well, considering email has like 70% non-benefits, I'm, yeah. with, I'm with you on the 595. I can, I can suffer through that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it usually comes in the form of one of my peers telling me, dude, it's in, <laughs> it's in the Slack channel. And I'm like, thanks. Thanks. I'll go search. So, uh, thank you. Thank you again, Clint, for, for all of your time. And, uh, you know, on behalf of EMC code and, uh, even yourself, I really appreciate you there. Yeah. Thank you guys very much. I had a great time here. So for all of our listeners, uh, you know, again, get social with us, tweet us, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, we had a really great uh, suggestion by somebody and we're working on it that has to do with, uh, you know, analytics again. So we're going to kind of dig down that and see what we can get done. And, uh, we're excited to kind of help you guys out and, and give, good sessions, uh, good podcast for, uh, for those suggestions. Uh, cause you know, frankly, Brett and I are not that creative. So, uh, you know, please reach out, uh, again, on behalf of the hot aisle, I'm Brian Carpenter and I'm Brett Piotti and Clint. Thanks again for joining us. Not a problem guys. Thank you. Everyone have a great day.